Last Sunday night of 2023, and we're going to end with a banger tonight. We're going to ring in the new year, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm excited. I got anticipation for 24. I just feel like if God did all this crazy stuff in 23, what does he have in store for us in 24? <laughs> Because God, God never does something to a lesser degree for the next year or for the next generation. The glory of the latter is always greater than the glory of the former. We have an ever-increasing kingdom. And so we never have to worry about going into the next year wondering, I wonder if God is going to be as faithful as he was before. <clears throat> He's going to be more faithful than he was before. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing with the goodness, the kindness, the provision, and the favor of the Lord. And so, I don't know, but if you was here tonight, maybe you're watching online, I'd just kind of prepare yourself and get ready to have your testimony journal right by your nightstand because I just have a feeling you will be writing down things every month. Look what the Lord has done. Man, he's been good to me. He answered prayers I didn't even know I had. He fulfilled dreams I didn't even know was there. He brought things back together that I thought were irreconcilably separated. I can't even believe God is showing me his favor and his kindness like he is in this season. We are in a supernatural moment of harvest by which God is gonna make the enemy pay for every year that he's stolen from God's people in the Northwest, which means we are coming into momentum, which means we are just now tasting and seeing the goodness of God. This is a foretaste. This is a foreshadow of glory divine. This is the very bare minimum starting place, beginning place of what God is going to do in our midst. I feel like I'm reminded of when Moses and both Joshua says to the people as they being attacked by foreign invaders, they say, just, just take a step back and watch God fight on your behalf. Just give him room to work and watch what this God would do. It's going to be beyond what you could expect, imagine, think, conceive, dream of. Just watch how good God is going to be in your life in 2024. The reality is, is that your life moves in the direction of your strongest thought. That's why scripture says, set your mind on things above, not on things below. That's why Paul says you have the mind of Christ. That's why Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because if you can get your mind right, you can get your life right. All of a sudden it start gravitating in the direction of godliness. And all of a sudden you see God by his own spirit arranging the chess pieces on the chessboard of your life because he operates in strategy and wisdom because he knows the end from the beginning. So I just believe 2024 is a year of God strategically setting us up to see his abundance unlocked like we have never seen it before. If you thought Kirkland was crazy, get ready for 24. If you thought miracle offerings was crazy, get ready for 24. If you thought miracle baptisms was crazy, get ready for 24. If you thought stadium events was crazy, you're not ready for 2024. Just watch, just watch what God would do. He's got a great track record of outperforming himself every year, every year. <laughs> okay, let me put one thing on your radar. Uh, many of you already know and are already aware, but obviously next Sunday, next Sunday, Jan 7, we're having grand opening weekend here at The Pursuit. And in doing so, we're letting folks know about some of the special things that we have happening all day. Pursuit Snohomish in the morning. We're going to be joined by one of my friends, Pastor Sean Foyt, 8.15, 9.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. You're going to want to be there for that. He's bringing a powerful word 
for our community. At 11 a.m., we're cutting the ribbon, grand opening, Pursuit Kirkland with Pastor Jew Fuquay, and then he'll be preaching live Seattle Sunday night, 6 p.m. as well. You won't want to miss it. It's going to be an incredible day in the house of God. We're encouraging people to double dip, go to as many services as you can, but we're just so excited to see all of what God will do. I really do believe it's going to be a historic shifting moment for the church of God in this region. Listen, because wins and favor and miracles and anointing is contagious in the spiritual realm. It just is. And when God begins to bless a community, what he's done for us, he will do for others. And there's something about uh, this new year. There's something about the favor that we're stepping into. There's something about the God-ordained seasons of life. It's the first Sunday in January and we're opening a new camp. Is there something about that that I believe is gonna trigger a chain reaction effect all across this region. And so we're encouraging people to be there, be praying for next week. And uh, it is our intent and belief that the same God who has been present here every Sunday night since we opened, every Sunday morning in Snohomish since we started, is going to show himself unusually strong in Kirkland and beyond. The best news, hear me, the best news about the new year is that you serve the same God. (laughs) The calendar has shifted. The news cycle has changed. Some elections are over and other elections are coming. Your insurance rates have gone up. The markets have yo-yoed everywhere. You are one year closer to the next thing and one year further from the last thing. But the best news that there has ever been is that in the midst of an ever-changing world around you, you have the God who changes not. You worship the same God. He has the same power to save. He's got the same authority to heal. He has the same anointing to deliver. And he has the same sovereignty to reign. The world has new heresies, but the gospel still declares the same truth. The culture has new addictions, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there is still freedom and there is liberty. The devil got new tricks, but for this reason, the son of God is still made manifest and it's to dismantle and destroy the works of darkness. And here's the reality, your life won't only move in the direction of your strongest thought, but also in the direction of your most present disciplines. Now watch, the new year don't have any magic power to make you smart. It don't have power to make you skinny. It don't got power to make you spiritual, sexy, wealthy, or wise. The calendar only has the power to serve as a record of time but it doesn't have the power to mature your life, establish your habits, strengthen your foundation, or renew your mind. There is nothing more spiritual about January 1st than there is about December 31st. The only thing that will be new tomorrow that you don't have today is fresh mercy from God for the journey ahead. For his mercies are new every morning. (laughs) 
Somebody told me, trying to be encouraging, they said, Pastor, I think God wants to bless you real good in 2024. And I agree. But he also wanted to bless me last year and the year before. And he wants to bless me the next year and the year after that. Because I don't serve a God who is enslaved to the calendars of man. <laughs> the year don't determine my blessing, God does. The calendar don't determine my anointing, God does. And every year from the cross forward has been the year of blessing, the year of anointing, the year of empowerment, and the year of prosperity. Because when Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men. And in doing so, adopted us into a covenant of favor by which we now boldly proclaim every good and perfect gift come from the Father above, the Father of lights, and in him there is no shadow of turning. Now we change all the time, the culture changes all the time. What's politically correct yesterday is not what is politically correct tomorrow. You can't even count on anything really being stable in our world today like maybe they thought it was just a generation ago. And I'm not sure about you, but it gives me great assurance this evening that I serve the God who never changes his opinion about me, never changes the words in his holy book, never has to apologize for having an out of character moment. I never got to worry if he's mad one day or happy the next. I've never got to guess whether or not I've got a spot that's eternally reserved for me in paradise with him. I serve the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if that God be for us, then who can be against us? That's the God that you serve. Every nine months, we got a new iPhone coming out. <laughs> People lining up for the latest and the greatest and the newest. But there is something reassuring about the ancient of days who says not one word from my book will pass away until all things have been completed. Did you know that the calendar we use, the Gregorian calendar, which we follow, wasn't even introduced until 1582? According to the Chinese calendars, the year of the rabbit. According to the Hebrew calendar, it's the year of divine retribution. According to the Mayan calendar, we're all supposed to be dead. <laughs> but the calendar doesn't dictate to God, God dictates to it. Because all of time and space bows in reverence to the Lordship and the sovereignty of the one that we worship. <laughs> Watch what the scriptures say. Don't say four months and then the harvest. Lift up your eyes for the fields, they are ripe. Don't say tomorrow is promised, for it is not. The hour has already come for you to wake up. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Remember when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead with a three-word command, Lazarus, come forth? The concern of his sisters, Mary and Martha, was that he had been in the grave now for three days, and surely he would have stunk. When Spurgeon would preach on the story of Lazarus, 
he would commentate on the idea that by the third day, maggots would have already set in to be eating of Lazarus's flesh. But when the command is given from the firstborn of all of creation, all of a sudden time reverses its course. All of a sudden the sun stands still. Even the graves give up their dead. Why? Because the very one who spoke time, days, seasons, morning, evening, noon into existence, now by his spoken word commands time to be re-engineered under his authority. When God says it's time for the fig tree to produce, it does not matter the year, the season, or the soil, it's time to grow. When God says it's time to cast your nets again, it does not matter the energy, the opinions, or the attitudes of the other boats, it's time to fish. The pattern of scripture is not Christ waiting around anxiously for midnight to strike so that a new day can begin or a new spiritual season can start. The pattern of scripture is that when God says it's time, that's the only permission you need for your life to come into divine alignment and in doing so never be the same. I'm here to tell you tonight pursuit. It's time because God said it's so. <laughs> I don't know what type of year you're going to have, but I'm going to have a Psalm 65, 11 year. You crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. I want you to think about this year like you would think about a 365-page book. Will there be pages that you don't understand? Yes. Will, 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 will there be chapters that aren't as exciting as the last? Sure. Will there be times where you're tempted to stop reading because it's difficult? Absolutely. But the God who begun your story is faithful to finish it. And you simply can't afford to quit reading now. And isn't this our human temptation? I'm going to start strong. But as soon as I fall or make a mistake, I got to wait until next year to try again. I was really going to be sober in 24. Now I lasted about two weeks and I blew that. I guess I got 11 and a half months of hell left so that I can wait until January 1, 2025 to, to try, try again. No, the only difference between a Christian who succeeds and a Christian who fails is that the Christian who succeeds didn't give up when he fell down, didn't stop trying when he made a mistake and didn't wait around for another year hoping it would give him a false sense of motivation to develop and mature. No, the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. <laughs> you know how gyms make all their money? On people who buy memberships and then don't show up. They get all excited in January. They got the best of intentions in February. 
by the time that March has come, there's a new Chick-fil-A that's opened in their neighborhood. And they've doubled in size. But I think a gym is actually the best description of what church is for the believer. Hear me. Church isn't an emergency room. December, January, February. Now you could just be like me and never show up at the gym at all. That's my plan, but gyms make all their money in the first quarter of the year. Church isn't an emergency room only ever to be visited in case of severe crisis. Church isn't a museum only showcasing the relics of what God did in the past. Church isn't a retirement home, only a place people arrive to relax until they die. Church is the gathering of living stones, priests unto God, an elect and a peculiar people whose express purpose is to glorify Jesus. See, the church is the gym, it's the health club, it's the daily discipline, it's the weekly routine. It's the place where you and your family come to get healthy. It may not happen overnight, but if you will plant yourself in the house of God, your life will prosper. I didn't say your life would be easy. I said it would be well worth it at the end of your life when you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you became an oak of righteousness planted in the house of the Lord, whose roots were watered by a living stream that provided you sustenance in every season of your life, that your life would prosper even as your soul would prosper, that the blessing of God would make you rich and add no sorrow, that you would be blessed and highly favored, anointed by God for the express purpose of serving your generation and then one day going to sleep and entering the chorus of angels to give glory to him for all of eternity. Your life will prosper if you find yourself planted in the house of God. I didn't say visiting the house of God. I didn't say when in crisis or emergency showing up and wanting prayer in the house of God. But if you will plant yourself in the house of God day by day in both small ways and big ways, God by his own spirit will develop the deep things of your heart until you are a well-developed and mature disciple and follower of Jesus Christ who is unshaken by the wind and the waves that take out those who have built their house on the sand instead of the rock that is higher than I. And much like the failed methodology that goes into exercise, it's not just showing up one time, posting a picture on Instagram so everybody thinks you're healthy, only never to visit the gym again. Your life will prosper by virtue of where you are planted. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, watch, redeem the time. Redeem the time for the days are evil. And how would one go about quote unquote, redeeming time by taking authority and responsibility for their spiritual development. Instead of allowing a lifeless calendar to convince you that 2024 is going to be any different than 2023, the only thing that has the power to change is you. 
In Luke 4, starting in verse 13, the historian of the early church, Dr. Luke, a Gentile follower of a Jewish Jesus, records this story. Now when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until the next opportunity came. And Jesus is just about to begin his three and a half year public ministry. And prior to his first miracle, his first teaching, his first sermon, he finds himself being tempted in the wilderness by the devil for 40 days. Can I tell you, wilderness seasons are absolutely essential to the development of a mature believer. Moses in the wilderness for 40 years until God called him back to Egypt. Moses then leading God's people in the wilderness for 40 years until Joshua takes them into the promised land. Saul reigning for 40 years, David reigning for 40 years, Solomon reigning for 40 years, Jesus facing temptation by the enemy in the wilderness for 40 days. There is this association with the number 40 all across scripture that represents seasons of testing and temperament for the people of God. So often we wanna hit fast forward or skip on the difficult seasons of our life, like it's a Spotify playlist where we can just get to our next favorite song. And I am telling you, until you learn to embrace the wilderness seasons of your life, God can't trust you with the promise that lays just ahead. If even Jesus had to be tempered by the wilderness, then don't think you and I get to escape from those dry desert seasons by which God gets a hold of your heart to such a degree that you become utterly convinced that he is my supply in every season of life. <laughs> What is most interesting about Luke's telling of this story is the way that it ends. Now, when the devil was all done, he left Jesus until the next opportunity arrived. I want you to see something very important this evening. I bind the devil every week. I bind fear, infirmity, unbelief, depression every week. If spiritual warfare is not the Christian uttering some magic words and then never dealing with the devil ever again. Spiritual warfare is the Christian standing and after doing everything to stand, continuing to stand. <laughs> we know the enemy was defeated on the cross, yet why do we still have to engage in spiritual warfare today? Because every time he tries to remind us of our past, we get to remind him of his future and we continue to bind his influence and his false assertion of power in dark places all around us. Spiritual warfare is the act of reminding one's self, I have a defeated enemy, but I serve a powerful God. Hey, if you hang out at Pursuit Seattle long enough, you hear me say this all the time, I bind you and I bind sickness. I bind cancer, I bind depression, I bind suicide, I bind same-sex attraction, I bind it in Jesus. Well, why he's saying that every week? I thought he bound it last week. Isn't it good enough? I thought he bound it last week. Well, the devil's persistent. So I'm gonna bind him every day until the Lord calls me home. And the next generation will bind him every day until the Lord calls them home. And there will be a day where he is eternally bound and cast into the pit of fire for all of eternity, never to harm or harass the people of God ever again. But until that 
final day, I'm gonna bind that defeated devil every chance I get. Now the Bible says this, it says you are saved and you are being saved. Which means for me, I'm trying to make a positive confession of faith just about every day of my life. I believe in Jesus. He lives inside of me, his spirit guides me. I've been forgiven of all iniquity. I've been healed of all infirmities. He is the light and the lamp unto my path. He's given me wisdom and strategy. He's given me authority to deal with demonic principalities and powers in high places, pulling down every argument that tries to put itself up as an affront to the kingdom of God and its power. Now, if I am saved and if I am being saved, then the devil is bound and he is being bound. So spiritual warfare is not a finite moment in our history. It's an ongoing moment of our prayer dialogue just about every day with the Lord. Now, I'd love to tell you today, if you're here and you're dealing with some sort of temptation, that all you have to do is say the magic words, I bind the devil and you'll never be tempted again. And if that's your testimony at the end of your life, that's awesome. You're a lot more spiritual than me. But I'll tell you this, even the things that God has delivered me out of, I've got to continue to remind my flesh that I don't serve it. It serves me. It's a daily reminder. It's a daily discipline. It's a daily habit. It's a daily dialogue. I am training the interior language of my heart until it manifests as an exterior action in my life. And I think for us, because we live in the West and we are sons and daughters of the enlightenment and we like to think in the kind of binary context of compartmentalization. Well, I did that once and I prayed that once and I said that once, so therefore it should be good enough. It'd be like getting married at the altar and then saying to your spouse the next day, I'm never going to tell you I love you again because I already told you the first time. I already told you once. We already signed a document. That should be good enough for you. Aren't you glad that God is willing to tell you something a thousand times in a row until you believe it? Aren't you glad that he'll repeat himself over and over and over again until it sinks so deep in your soul? Aren't you glad that the next time you're in trouble, God said, I'm not even going to say it this time because I said it last time. You got to learn the sacred art of repeating yourself until you refuse to doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. No, the process of spiritual warfare is reminding yourself and reminding that defeated devil that he no longer has claim to any part of your life, soul, your emotions, your family, or any other part of who you are. Every time the enemy seeks to exploit an opportunity to tempt me or to try me, it's my job to remind him that he has been defeated, he has been disempowered, he does not get to dictate my future. And that for every temptation, watch, God has provided the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now hear me, friend, you can't fight the enemy without the full armor of God. I didn't say the armor of God, I said the, the full armor of God. Let me show you. Let me show you what the scriptures say. Watch Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Not the half armor. Not that one piece that you like. Not that piece that you borrowed from your buddy because it's Saul's armor and you can't even walk in it. It said put on the full armor of God 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Watch, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in that place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that come from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The full, take up the full armor of God. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word all work together to help equip you to defeat every temptation from the enemy. Now watch. If all you got is the helmet of salvation, you running naked into a battle with no sword, praying to God that the enemy doesn't have any weapons. Now watch, if all you got is a sword, you run an unprepared into battle with no shield, just hoping to God you don't get hit. Every element listed in Ephesians 6 is a necessary tool in the life of a believer. You got that belt, you got that breastplate, you got feet that are fitted, you got that shield, you got that helmet, you got that sword, you got that word. And what it does is it equips you. For when the enemy come in one way, when you expel him, he'll go fleeing out seven ways. It looked like it was a one-pronged attack, but actually he was trying to attack you in seven different areas of your life. Your mind, your body, your flesh, your relationships, your finances, you name it. He was coming with a seven-pronged attack. You didn't realize it, but when you defeated him with the full armor, finally he showed his true colors. And what looked like one was actually seven, and it went running in the opposite direction. You just need more than just a sword. I got my sword. <laughs> the people who got just a just a sword, they remind me of the guys holding big old signs outside the stadium when you're trying to attend a Mariners game or a Seahawks game with your family. You're going to hell. Turn or burn. Guy's real angry at you. Judgment's coming. I'm like, bro, you're unbalanced. You're like a son of thunder trying to call fire down on the Samaritans. You know not what spirit you're operating in because all you got is a sword. When you got the full armor, you got some balance in your life. And you know what tool to use in a clinical way for whatever attack you might be facing in that particular moment. Now watch, the enemy wants you dead. He wants your destiny aborted. He wants your life over. He wants your mind destroyed. And may this be the year where you get the full armor of God on so you can extinguish not some, but all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now watch verse 14. Very interesting what Luke says. Then Jesus returned in the power. Hmm. He was in the wilderness for testing, but by the time he returned, he was in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the news or the fame, one translation says, or the renown of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. I want you to see this. When you operate in the power of the Spirit, 
You don't need a press release to let people know you're anointed. The news will go out through all the surrounding region. People just know. Huh. 12 years ago, I started uh, as a young adult pastor at a church here in the area in Bothell named Cedar Park Assembly of God. And one of the things that I had the privilege of doing while I was there, I didn't ask to do it, it just got stuck on my plate. Was that all of a sudden, there was a season where the church began to get inundated by phone calls of people who were dealing with demonic possession. I'm not talking about like your four-year-old that's got a bad attitude, he don't wanna eat his hot dog for dinner. I'm talking full-blown demonic possession. <laughs> they was going around asking the staff, who wants to deal with this one? And I was kind of sitting there in staff meeting thinking, well, I don't got anything better to do. Let's, let's do some Ghostbusters up in here. I said, yeah, give me this one. Give me this one. Now, there ain't no manual for casting out demons outside of Scripture. I know we've got authority and power, but it's like the Wild West. You just never know what you're about to walk into. I'll never forget the day we got that call. It was a voicemail from a mom who was in crisis. She said, my boy is, is severely demonized. I don't know what's wrong. I'm thinking to myself, you exaggerating. You're kind of emotional. You're freaking out. Let's just go and we'll just take him to the sinner's prayer and pat him on the back and everything will be okay and blah, blah, blah. I walked into the house and God is my witness. I saw this kid, probably 20, 21 years old, and he was, he was duct taped and tied to the couch. I walked in and I said, now is this a prank? This is about the strangest thing I've ever seen. What's going on? And they said, almost like the demoniac in the gatherings, we have to bind him the best we can because as soon as he's free, he gets crazy violent all across the neighborhood. I was standing in the living room. I could barely see him and he was sitting in the back kind of patio area, just kind of looking around a wall, just kind of checking out as they was telling me this report, like hoping not to make eye contact with him, just doing one of these things. And I thought, man, he sound pretty calm. He ain't being crazy, man. Maybe, maybe y'all the crazy ones. <laughs> Kid pours out taped up and jacked up and what's going on? And I was kind of feeling a little good. Had one of my prayer guys with me. I said, we're going to take care of this. Let's just, you know. And as soon as I walked in the room from me about to the front row, this kid started convulsing demonically unlike anything that I've ever seen. At one point, he started to levitate off the couch, out of his mind. I thought to myself, no, now this is not what I, I don't get paid enough for this. I thought this was like a level two, like bad attitude demon. I didn't know we was, I didn't know what to do. I kid you not, they had like a camcorder set up. They said, we gonna record this. I said, no, we are not. I'm ending up on true TV. What are we talking about here? They said, what are we gonna do? And I said, well, I, you, you know how you try to make up stuff on the fly? You know, you're like, well, you know, see, uh, with this situation, what we've got is a level four and you gotta, do, you know. <laughs> and, and before I left, you know, my pastor, Pastor Joe, who I always honored because he believed in me when nobody else did, gave me a shot. It let me run like a crazy man all over that campus for three years and created room for God to develop some things inside of me. But 
before I was leaving, I said, I said, Pastor Joe, I said, now what, what do I need to bring with me to this deliverance? He said, well, you got to grab some anointing oil. I did that. And he said, and, and, and grab a crucifix as well. And I said, for what? He says, I'm not sure, but just grab it if you need it. And I was like, I'm taking the full armor. You know, I'm just, I got a New Testament. I got an Old Testament. I got a cross. I got the oil, you know, and we just walking in. I said, we go throw the kitchen sink at this thing. And we just, I'm throwing, I don't even want to touch. I'm just throwing oil, you know, and I'm holding up the cross. And, you know, it's only weird if it doesn't work. <laughs> and, and it didn't work for the first little bit, but eventually that boy got freedom. We cut all them ties off of him. We threw away all the demonic stuff in the house, ceiling to walking from the top floor to the bottom floor, clearing out all the rooms. And I saw that kid in church the very next week. But see, what, what I'm saying is this. You're, you're here tonight. You can't figure out why you're walking into some rooms and people are maybe just always irritated that you're there. And you're like, I can't figure it out. What did I ever do to this project? And here's the reality that you don't understand is spirit recognizes spirit. <laughs> when I walked into the room, I didn't have to announce, I am the man of God, the young adult pastor at Cedar Park. And I'm here with anointing oil and a crucifix. And I have no idea what I'm doing. But in the name of Jesus, I didn't have to say nothing. I didn't have to say nothing. I just stepped into the room. But see, wherever I go, he goes. Everywhere the sole of my foot treads, he has given me the, the land. And as soon as I walked in the room, before I made any introduction, all of a sudden this voice came from this young man. I know why you're here. I said, well, at least one of us does. <laughs> the spirit recognizes spirit. <laughs> The Bible says when Jesus came back to Galilee in the power of the spirit, the news of him went throughout all the surrounding regions. So here's what was crazy is this kid got freedom, was in church the very next uh, week. And from that moment forward, for whatever reason, I kind of got known as the deliverance guy at the church. And I said, now listen, I really did not, this was not what I wanted to add to my resume, but what happened is the news of freedom became like the sound of hope for parents who was dealing with demonized kids. We tried everything. The counselor can't help us. The doctor can't help us. Is this going to be the rest of our life? We feel terrorized and trapped in our own house. What can we do? We heard about this church and we heard about this dude who brings oil and a wooden cross with him and We've ran out of options, but, but let's call them to see if they can help. <laughs> I'm telling you, freedom's contagious. Anointing is contagious. You don't need to issue a press release. People just <clears throat> know. I want you to think about it for a moment this evening. Jesus is the anointed one. He is fully God and fully man. There has never been a moment in all of history where the Spirit of God did not take residence inside the person of Jesus. For the Bible says that it pleased the Father that in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell. 
He wasn't 88% God and 12% man. He wasn't 50-50. The union was hypostatic, meaning he was 100% God and 100% man. That was settled at the Nicene Council in 325 AD, where they defeated the Gnostic heresy of Arianism, and they determined that what the apostolic authors and church fathers said was true. He is fully God, and he is fully man. So think about it. This Jesus, who has always been the anointed one in eternity's past, and yes, even today, Luke records something very interesting. Christ returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Essentially this, there was a marked increase, a marked change, a visible difference on the life of Christ as he came out of the wilderness, defeating temptation and returning to Galilee. So if you're here today and you think that you've got all that there is to get out of this Christian experience, you are so sorely mistaken, I'm not sure I can help you. If even Jesus could have more, you can have more as well. Now that word power used in verse 14 is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. It means inherent power residing in a person or a thing by virtue of its nature. Power through God's ability, miracles, miraculous power, strength, and ability. Watch, Jesus came out of the wilderness with explosive power for signs, wonders, miracles, and manifestations. Not because the Bible ever records that he asked for that but because by virtue of being with the Father, resisting the devil and defeating temptation, what resides in the Father is now manifesting through the Son. Now listen, that's not as sexy as come to the altar and you'll get a magic impartation and your whole life is gonna be different. By virtue of being with the Father, resisting the devil and defeating temptation. He didn't ask for it. There was no prayer line. Nobody prayed for him in the wilderness. By virtue of doing those three things, being with the Father, resisting the devil, and defeating temptation, the net result of those three activities over 40 days so marked the life of Christ with power that by the time he walked into Galilee, the news had already spread. Hear me, I'm not asking for miracles. I'm asking for intimacy. I'm not asking for explosive power. I'm asking for nearness because I know, watch, watch, because I know that if I get his heart, I'll get everything else that is in his hand. <laughs> See, we're asking for the gift, but we've got it wrong. Ask the giver and he will withhold no good thing from those whom he loves. So watch verse 16, watch, watch. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And as was his custom, 
he went into the synagogue. Don't miss it tonight. With 100% certainty, I can tell you today, you need holy habits in your life that anchor your week. Jesus, the living word, the one who is co-eternal and co-existent with the Father, the one who receives the worship of angels and elders and four living creatures in heaven, who via the incarnation was born of a virgin and lived a perfect and sinless life. Even that Jesus had a holy habit called a custom that anchored his spiritual week. See, that's the problem is we get so prideful and arrogant in our own mind. Like, oh, I got really filled up last year and so I'm probably pretty good. Me and God got this side deal and I kind of just kick it because he really knows I'm kind of really like maxing out on this spiritual stuff. I already figured it out. In fact, I read two chapters this week instead of one chapter, so I'm doing pretty good. And so let me kind of mail it in for the next four weeks and I'll catch him on the next month because, you know, I really got this on my own. Dumb, 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 dumb. Listen, every time I teach on this, people go, oh, pastor being religious. No, this ain't about being religious. It's about understanding the importance of compounding spiritual interest. See, I'm gonna show up when I feel like it and when I don't. I'm gonna worship when I feel like it and when I don't. I'm gonna serve, give, smile, and pray when I feel like it and when I don't because I have learned the value of holy habits that anchor my life and drive my development. <laughs> But the problem is, if we were to be honest, our spiritual lives are oftentimes governed by the conductor of our emotional ups and downs. And so one week we feeling good and we in it, and the next week we kind of feeling withdrawn and a little standoffish, and so we not in it. And the next week we show up and she was wearing the same shirt as me and I can't believe that, so I'm never going back there again. And then we just kind of hopping around like a bumblebee pollinating all the churches in the Northwest until somebody cares enough to rebuke us. Then we get offended and we say, I'm church hurt, I'm not going nowhere. Dumb, 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 dumb. You need holy habits that anchor your life. Listen, if Christ was not exempt from holy habits, neither are you. <laughs> you are not the exception to the rule. Our generation is absolutely poisoned by the idea of terminal uniqueness. Like I am the only exception. I know Jesus had to go to the synagogue every week. I know Jesus had to embrace the wilderness. I know Jesus had to be alone with the Father. I know Jesus had to defeat temptation. I know Jesus had to pray and serve and give and tithe. But you know what? I got a separate side deal because really I've just figured it out. It's just me and God. No, it ain't. Because you're not the church alone. We're the church together. Well, church is anywhere I want it to be. No, it's not. It's not. I'm sorry. It's not. And I'm not saying church has to look like this in order to be qualified as a church, but I'm just letting you know the entire witness of scripture and the last 2000 years of church history confirms that you and your friends eating Cheetos in between sharing the vape on your couch at the frat house does not qualify as church. And listen, hear me. Now I'm going to be a little naughty, but just hear me. Listen, I love online. I love it. We're streaming online tonight. I love online. We got people who is a part of this church, but you know, they don't really live locally and they tune in and they stream. We got people in this nation, around the nations of the earth. I love online. 
but what God will bless as a supplement, he will curse as a substitute. Online is not a replacement for local, incarnational, weekly gathering of God's people for the express purpose of worshiping him. A church is not like an event that you get around to whenever it kind of happens and you just kind of show up. It's a community that you engage with, that you give your life for, that you're willing to lay down your preference and privilege on its behalf because you are interested in the development that happens by virtue of gathering to worship Jesus and his transformative presence, fixing stuff in your life that you didn't even know was broken. You need holy habits. And I got a PhD in this stuff and I still need holy habits in my life. Well, pastor, you really expect this generation to show up at church every week? Yeah, I do. Because we are not the exemption to the rule. <laughs> this is my sixth service today. I've been at all of them, I think. <laughs> listen, at the end of the day, I want people to, and, and by the way, now listen, you know, I could phone it in and, all right, Russ is on the beach, sun in his muscles. We've got a recorded sermon from Bishop Johnson. It's going to be playing. And no, oh, there's something that happens when you in the room, friend. There's something that happens when you in the room because there's more that is caught than is taught. I'm not trying to give you information for your mind. I'm trying to give you transformation for your soul. There's something that happens when you in the room and the anointing hits and the power of God hits and the spirit of God begin to call your name. And all of a sudden his light shines up in your darkness. All of a sudden his hand plucks you out of the miry clay and puts you on a firm foundation. There is something that happens when you show up. For God so loved the world, he didn't send a live stream. He sent a man. You'll make that your sermon quote. At the end of the day, I want people to know what they are signing up for. Because this ain't your normal sleepy Sunday evening experience with a gross potluck afterwards. Something that you just get to check off your spiritual to-do list. This is the church of the living God. A God who compels us towards fidelity, mandates that we would grow, and commands us to be transformed. That's what this is. It ain't no casual gathering. It ain't no just check in and check out whenever you get around to it and just kind of, it's just you and God on your own little individual choose your own adventure novel. This is the church of the living God. And we need some, some holy habits in our lives. The problem we face is people who desire development but hate routine. I want to grow. I want to succeed. I want to be accomplished. I just don't have the diligence to follow through. I want the recognition of hard work without the actualization of any work. I want to play on the team. I just don't want to show up for practice. In our world today, we have never ending excuses for why we go undeveloped. And hear me as I, I say this, because I'm, I'm trying to tell you the truth, but Tonight, I'm, I'm also trying, trying to be aware of, of, of things that, that, that have happened and have transpired that, that really have injured people from time to time. So, so hear my heart as I say this, but I gotta tell you the truth tonight. At the end of your life, you will not stand before that pastor who hurt you or that boss who fired you or that friend who lied about you 
or that doctor who diagnosed you or that partner who cheated on you. You will stand before a holy God and the question will be, what have you done with that which you were entrusted with? But, 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 but God, I, 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 I didn't really like you. And, and they said something and I didn't like, so I just never, but uh, 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 all of your excuses will burn up in the eyes of the one whose gaze burns hotter than 10 million suns. One day we will stand before him and, and give account. So here's my question for you tonight. What routines, customs, patterns, and habits are you willing to commit to? so that in both big ways and small ways, God can develop every square inch of your heart. See, Jesus was brought up in Nazareth, but as he grew, it was on him to develop his own customs. Watch, it's easy to be disciplined when you have someone else to enforce it. But the true test of spiritual maturity in your life is not, can you make it to church when the pastor texts you in the morning so you don't forget, and instead, can you take ownership for the development of your disciplines? So like clockwork, you become a faithful person in all areas of life. <laughs> now watch, watch. Here's where it gets good. Verse 17. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now imagine, they don't got no chapters. They don't got no verses. They don't got no Bible app. They're not Googling. He opens the scroll to the prophet Isaiah. And as he's flipping through those pages, he found the place where it was written. Apparently, he had read it enough that he knew where it would be earmarked on that scroll. Yeah, my Bible is, 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 is falling apart in more ways than one. It's been around the world and it's got pages that are falling out and the binding's loose and the pen marks are running everywhere, but I can't stand to preach from any other Bible because I know where stuff is in this Bible because it's my Bible. It's like, okay, I'm, I think I'm in about Matthew 4. Yep, there I am. And I know right there, well, that's John 7 because I'm always reading that, that. That's about right there. Acts 2, I got that earmarked a thousand. That's right there. It's like your Bible so you know where stuff is. And I'm just shook that Jesus, he just knows in the scroll of Isaiah where it was written. The crowd is sitting there with bated breath. I, I wonder what he's gonna say. And, and I wonder how the rabbi is gonna share. And, and we heard about him. We heard he was in the wilderness. We heard it was pretty crazy. We heard the devil showed up. We heard he tried to tempt him, we heard that he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy three different times and used the words of Moses to defeat the temptation from the enemy. We've heard that he walks in unusual power. I wonder what he's about to say. And he flipped through the scroll of Isaiah until he found the place where it was written. Watch, I love this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. <laughs> I just kind of imagine when Jesus utters those words in the synagogue in Nazareth, the hair on the back of the necks of all the men who were in attendance stood straight up. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, watch, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach freedom 
to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. No explanation, no hermeneutic, no exegetical dissection of the text, no employment of the Wesleyan quadrilateral to help understand the culture and the context. He literally reads from Isaiah, sits down and is like, now what? And the eyes of all who was in the synagogue was fixed on him. And he said to them this today, today, in this moment, right now, right here, in this very moment, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Huh. When Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah, watch, he is quoting the portion of scripture most associated with what happens during the year of Jubilee. Now watch, the year of Jubilee was a time of celebration mandated from the Lord that the Hebrew children had to observe every 50 years. During this year, debts were forgiven, prisoners were set free, slaves were released, and land was restored. Watch, watch. And then Jesus says something so audacious that it almost gets him killed. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. You gotta see this tonight. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of what every feast and every holiday and every custom and every sacrifice and every law looked forward to. I am the very fulfillment and personification of Jubilee because in me, debts are forgiven. In me, prisoners are set free. In me, slaves are released. And in me, is released. I am your jubilee. And today, this is fulfilled in your midst. Now watch, that jubilee year never carried within it the inherent power to change anyone's life or circumstance. It was a shadow that prophesied in part what one day Christ would do in fullness. And as all the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus, he tells the captivated listeners, you will never again have to wait another 50 years to experience Jubilee for your new life and your new year, and your new freedom, and your new journey, and your new patterns, and your new habits, and your new desires, they begin today. Out of Pharisees is sitting in the synagogue going, this ain't the year of Jubilee. What are you talking about? No, we know when that's happening. We have kept copious records from, from the very days of Moses. We know how to count. We know how to do math. Who is this new rabbi who thinks that he can just change the calendar during a synagogue service by quoting the prophet Isaiah? 
And Jesus says, no, it's, it's no longer about the custom. It's, it's no longer about the calendar. It's, it's no longer about waiting for 50 years. And then you can experience this hypothetical freedom. No, today, today in your midst, it's fulfilled through me. I'm almost done. Watch this. If you were to keep reading, you would see two responses to Christ's proclamation. The religious folks are filled with wrath and they try to throw Jesus off a cliff. We went there, remember that lighting? We went to the place where the crowds took Jesus to try to throw him off the precipice. And the Bible says he disappeared, he slipped through their midst. The religious folks are filled with wrath, they try to throw Jesus off a cliff, but watch. The second response is this, the diseased and the demonized are healed and set free. Can you imagine the conversation of the religious folks in this setting? Who does he think he is? He doesn't just get to announce Jubilee in the middle of our church service. We control who gets forgiveness. We control who gets freedom. We control who deserves grace. We control who receives mercy. And Christ walks into the middle of their little religious gathering and upsets every sacred cow they had left. Why? Because Jubilee isn't a holiday. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. And he is here to set the captives free. I'm here to announce tonight what was announced by Jesus in Luke chapter four. This is your year of Jubilee. Because if Jesus lives in your heart, Jubilee isn't relegated to a calendar that hangs on your wall. It's a reality that lives within your soul. Everywhere I go, every breath that I take, every waking moment of my life is another opportunity to experience this man named Jesus who represents, this is my Jubilee year. There's so many people, they, they get in the habit of negatively prophesying about what the year will hold. Well, I don't know, them elections, that's really difficult. And I just, ooh, and the economy, and well, the church, and well, I don't really know, Kirkland, and that's a whole other thing, and that's a whole other setup, and I just, ooh, and I, I mean, ooh, and I. And pretty soon it's like, y'all, I can't hang with you, man. Stop, quit talking. Just, you wanna talk negative, just go be by yourself, and you can negatively prophesy to yourself all day long. You can have whatever type of year you want, but it's for me and my house is Jubilee. It's the year of freedom. It's the year of blind eyes open, deaf ears healed. It's the year of prison doors open wide. It's the year of favor and anointing. It's the year of land being released. It's the year of properties being released. It's the year of Kirkland coming home. It's the year of the next campus being launched. It's the year of Yakima, Spokane, Ballard, Bellingham, Vancouver, Portland. It is our year because we serve the living God. I'm here to announce it's Jubilee in the Pacific.
because we serve a man. 